Well, Happy New Year, and uh, grateful that we can celebrate um, today on New Year's Day, and that the New Year brings kind of a, an interesting excitement and hopeful expectation. Now, one of the expectations this morning is, is that those of you that are, you know, normally go to junior church, you can stand with us, and, uh, and so you, you'll be staying in with us, but notice that on the the fourth page of your bulletin, there's a crossword puzzle, and you can use that crossword puzzle if you'd like. If you're an adult, actually, Ashley came to me last week and said the word search was too easy, and so <clears throat> um, I can tell you what my kids are doing during the sermon too, um, even if they are adults. Uh, so if you find those things helpful to you, use them as just means of being able to, um, to walk through that this morning as we, we dive into God's Word. Um, but if you think about the new year for a moment, the reason it brings excitement and kind of this hopefulness is that there's an expectation that this year is going to be better than the last, right? And if there isn't an expectation, there's a hope that things can always be better. If they were garbagey years, then we're like, yeah, get out of that. And then if they were great years, we're like, oh, it can be even better. But the truth is, is it's simply a day, Right? Yesterday really is not a whole lot different than today. But in Scripture, we see throughout Scripture that God actually deals with new seasons of life. When a person comes to faith, he says that you are a new creation, right? Throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, during the different uh, seasons and feasts that there's a newness that God celebrates. And new seasons of life in general, whether it's the fact that we're graduating high school or we're getting married or we're starting a new job or we're starting kindergarten, they actually cause us to examine the past and set goals for the future. Uh, Statistia Global Consumer Survey, this is one that was taken just recently, took, looked at the top eight New Year resolutions in the USA. The first was to exercise more. The second was to eat healthier. The third was to lose weight. Now, I don't know about you guys. Some of you may not be me, but all three of those would apply, right? <laughs> exercise more, eat healthier, lose weight. Yep, can do those. The list continues. Save more money, spend more time with family and friends, spend less time on social media, reduce stress on the job, and then finally, Reduce spending on living expenses. <clears throat> a common resolution for Christians is often made around New Year's to read their Bible more, pray more, or to serve more. And while New Year's resolutions are good, seldom is there an established plan or even the perseverance to see those resolutions through. And so we start out strong but we finish poorly. And one of the things about the Scripture is the Scripture calls us to be finishers who finish well. Everyone can start out excited. Everyone. Anybody can get excited for a day or two or three months or even a year. But seldom do people finish well in the race with Christ. So as we look at this new year, 2023, I want us to consider Christ's call on our lives. 
And this call is neither a resolution or a goal, but it's a lifestyle that seeks Him above all things. So let's stand. We're going to read from Philippians 3 here. We're going to stand as we read God's Word this morning. It's four short verses, verses 12 through 16. For some, it's a verse that you're familiar with. Others may have heard it as well. And this is what it says. It says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead, me, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you, God, for this new season, this new year. Your word says that you appointed the day and the evening. Your word says that you have appointed the seasons. And so, Father, in this new season, may we be reminded, Lord, of the mercy that you've displayed upon us. Father, may it be our desire this morning to see the reality of who you are, to rejoice in what you've done for us, and to surrender ourselves completely to you. Lord God, I pray that you would move me out of the way, and it would be your word that comes forth in power. Speak to our hearts this morning, and may your spirit move freely. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> this morning, in a nutshell, what we're talking about is this. That Christ's call demands believers to live with a humble and determined urgency in the present. Christ's call demands believers to live with a humble and determined urgency in the present. So if you're a follower of Christ this morning, I want you to hear this from the perspective that Christ's call on your life is one of humility and determination with urgency. If you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to encourage you to understand why Christ has called his people to this. And in so doing, see that that invitation is available to you as well. Now, as you notice twice in this passage this morning, the phrase press on is mentioned in this short passage. Now, when we hear that word to press on, in our culture today, it is often in reference to telling someone to endure or persevere when things have become difficult. You just kind of need to press on, right? And so we hear that terminology, and it's kind of this idea of endure, persevere, press forward. But in Greek, it actually has a much broader meaning. 
The word here in the Greek is actually kata, and kata carries with it this idea of going after or hastening. It it really is the idea of setting something in rapid motion. Uh, Pressing on is this kind of idea of a lifestyle of urgency towards something. It's not just an achievement or something to be achieved. It has no end this side of heaven. It's not something that is attainable this side of heaven. Apart from the presence of Jesus, it's not attainable. And so he's saying, press on, but move forward with urgency. Now, in verse 12, he begins then, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. So what is this that Paul has not already obtained? We've just said that this idea of pressing on is something that has an urgency to it, of going after it, but it's a lifestyle. It's not an achievement. So what is it that he hasn't obtained? Well, verse 9 through 11 tells us. It's the context of this passage. It says, Be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that he may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible he may attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is talking about is living in the resurrected life. That when a person gives their life to Christ, Christ then grants His Spirit to them that dwells within us. And in the dwelling of us, we now are able to pursue those things that otherwise we had no desire for before and had no strength to do because it's not us doing it. It's why Paul says that your grace is sufficient in my weakness. He doesn't say it's in your strength. What we bring to Jesus is actually our weakness, our acknowledgement that apart from Him, we are nothing. And apart from Him, we can't make ourselves righteous. A perfect and holy God is not pleased by what you think your perfection is. A perfect and holy and righteous God demands then that He's just, He deals with sin appropriately, and that He offers righteousness only through the only perfect one who is Himself. So in all the ways that Paul has changed from being a persecutor of Christians, so Paul starts out as a persecutor of Christians, he changes, he encounters Jesus on the Damascus road, Jesus blinds him with a sight, he is then escorted to another man who takes care of him in that moment, Paul having heard the voice of Jesus, now he no longer is the persecutor of the Christian, but he is the one being persecuted for his faith. Even though this is Paul, the one who is writing this letter, he still recognizes that there's still much more growth to occur in his life. Isn't this crazy? That he still has much more to attain. That through salvation, positionally, he is righteous before God, but practically, God still is working in him to make him more and more like Jesus. In the Old Testament, we're told 
that the glory of God was actually witnessed in Israel, that God had set up a nation of people who were to bear testimony to the truth of who God was. But through Jesus, Jesus then makes a nation or all nations through him the very glory of God through faith. When we put our faith in him, we now, our lives now are for the purpose of glorifying God. Paul recognizes that there's more to do in his life. There's more to become. So acknowledging that there is still much more to complete completed in his life, he says, but I press on to make it my own. He's saying, I'm actually pressing on so that my life, my life actually is the imitation of Christ's life through Christ's power. So when we look at 2023 and we move forward into this new year as people and as his church, God has a specific call for us. And that call for us is to to be who God has called us to be and to do what God has called us to do. So pressing on towards Christ's present call requires a few things. The first is this. The first is to remember salvation is not solely about eternal life, but Christ's righteousness and purpose in our lives. Salvation is not solely about eternal life, but Christ's righteousness and purpose in our lives. Notice what he says, not not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul has already acknowledged that he's not perfect and has not followed Christ perfectly. It's clear that God's work is not finished in him yet. And Paul doesn't consider his apostleship as the point in which he's arrived. This side of heaven, none of us get to say, man, I've arrived in Christ. I've accomplished everything the Lord wants me to do. I've done it in my own strength. And I've got there. And let me tell you, if that's where you're at, that's pride. It's spiritual pride. It's what Satan was guilty of, and it's what every single one of us has been guilty of. We're guilty of it because the truth is, is that Christ is the only one who makes us whole and complete. Now, Paul could have rested back and said, you know, I'm apostle. But notice how he starts this letter to the Philippians. He says in Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. The only way that he identifies him in his letter to Philippians is to call himself a servant. A servant of Christ. So God has drawn us towards this righteousness through faith. He has granted us His righteousness in faith because we can't do anything righteous enough to appease a righteous and holy God. Our salvation is actually becoming more and more like Christ, allowing His righteousness to influence our righteousness, to change us, to make us new. And more than that, what is also being attained is this purpose of God the purpose that God has granted. Now notice, 
Paul has embraced that purpose as a servant of God. Now, it's really easy for doers, right? Our tendency is to say, well, okay, so if God's got a purpose for us, I've got to figure it out, and if I can't figure it out, I've missed it. And it's a trap. God's purpose for your life is to be a servant for Him. God's purpose for your life is to be a servant for Him. And so, Robin and I have the same call for righteousness. But how that looks as a servant of God is different for each one of us. She may feel very called to meet the needs of the homeless. And God may lay upon my heart the desire to proclaim His truth. More than that, God has given us all the same purpose in being a declarer of His truth through the Great Commission. That we are to go into all the world, right? Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey the commands of God. The purposes may be different. This past year has been interesting, as many of you know. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at just some things that God revealed during that time in my own life that I hope strengthens you in suffering. But in September, some of you don't know that what was supposed to be a very easy surgery amongst all the surgeries that have been done became exceptionally complicated. On August 30th, 31st, I went to sleep believing that things had been fixed and repaired, and I woke up at 3 a.m. being told that nothing worked. What most of you don't know is that my heart only beats because of the pacemaker box. Many people have pacemakers because they're, they fix arrhythmias. Mine actually beats the lower chambers of the heart. I have no rhythm on my own. I woke up at 3 a.m. and I was told that nothing worked. It'd be 35 more minutes before a doctor could come in and try to fix, at least get something going. In those 35 minutes, I had a lot of time to think. I was told in those 35 minutes, lay still, don't move. And it is a startling experience to have people rush in to strap electrical pads to your chest and say, if you move, you might die. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't fully believe them. I was scared but I didn't understand how dire it really was. That night, I became very angry towards the Lord. The question was, God, what are you going to throw next? I don't get it. I'm missing something here. I don't understand, even right now, how this helps your kingdom at all. So say. I was readied and woke up through a myriad of things, was put back to sleep, was told that I would be entering another emergency surgery in two hours. I woke up 
And I will share with you guys that I struggled with my identity in the hospital. I didn't know who to be. I knew that God wanted me to be a servant for him, but that looked very different. Seven years ago, I got the opportunity to share my faith left and right. This time, it looked like an entirely different experience. And as I wrestled with God, as I stood in the moments of the silence, asking God why in the world he was continuing to allow what already was a long season of life to continue, and now it's going to end like this? You've brought me here to die here? I woke up in the morning and I was surrounded by five people prepping me for surgery. And a woman walked in, a nurse practitioner who was a believer. And we had talked about the Lord before. Her son was a church planter in Chicago. And she walked in and she knew nothing of what was going on. And she said, hey, I'm going to let you know we're going to discharge you in two hours. <laughs> and then she looked around and she said what happened? And I looked at her and I was like, I don't know, I was hoping you'd know what happened. And it was a moment, just a brevity for a moment, and she stood there and she walked over and she grabbed my hand and then she stepped back and she opened up the computer and she looked and she walked back over and she looked at me and she stared at me and this team of people that are surrounded by me, she looks at them and she says these words, and some of you I've shared this with. She said, this man's a servant of God. Honor him. And at first, I was embarrassed. And then she shouted it again. And she looked out. And then she looked at a nurse. And she looked at her and she said, sister, he's yours to take care of. You stay with him this entire process. And that nurse stayed with me to the OR and to back. And the next day, I was driving home. I was not driving home. <laughs> You'll all be glad to know that. Um, Elisa was driving home, and we talked. And I was mad. Mad. And I said, Elise, I don't get it. How does God expect me to be a dad and a husband and a pastor? I can't even walk down the steps without thinking this is going to fall apart. You know what I did? I sat down and I opened the scriptures. Right there, the Lord took me to Psalm 34, not even thinking about it. And as I was crying out to him about my own family and asking the Lord, like, why in the world would you do this? Scripture came and said, I, the Lord, take care of the servants of the Lord's children. It was just a moment where God reminded me what my identity was. It wasn't as a dad. It wasn't as a husband. Those are parts of it. But the primary purpose as servant of the Lord. Because guess what? We're serving the Lord. We're serving the Lord anywhere we go. 
You're not a dad everywhere you go. You're not a mom wherever you go. You're not a coworker wherever you go. You're not a husband wherever you go. You're not a wife wherever you go. Because people don't know you as that everywhere you go. But the one thing that they may know you as wherever you go is servant of God. Our purpose is to be a servant of God. Now notice what motivates Paul here. Paul says he's pressing on. Why? He presses on because Christ Jesus has made me himself his own. The motivation to pursuing and pressing on in Christ is that Christ has made him his. The scripture, we come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, it is because Christ has opened your eyes to it. Nowhere in scripture is intellect given to the reason as to why you come to Jesus Christ. It's not the smartest people in the world coming to Jesus, and it's not the dumbest people in the world coming to Jesus. It's the people who God has opened their eyes. If you have seen God's truth, He's giving you a blessing. He's actually drawing you to Himself. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. God is the one who draws us to Him, not us finding Him. We don't find Jesus Jesus has already found us, and he's drawing us to himself. 1 Peter 1, 17-21 says, And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ like that lamb without blemish or spot." He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Why did God make it about him being the one opening your eyes and drawing you, so that you could take no claim for your salvation? That salvation was wholly a work of Jesus. So we need to remember that our salvation is not just about eternal life, life with Christ eternally, but it is about righteousness and His purpose in our lives. If we lose sight that Jesus is the one that draw us, drew us to Him, we will actually lose sight of the importance of His purpose. It is vital that we remember that truth to press on. Secondly, Commit to single-mindedness with a heavenly mindset. Commit to single-mindedness with a heavenly mindset. It says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. That is the righteousness and purpose of Christ. But one thing I do, notice Paul's focus there, one thing I do. Are you single-mindedly a servant of God? Is that the first purpose? Is it your heart to be a servant of God who's committed to his righteousness and his purposes? Or are you still fighting with God saying, my purposes are better and my righteousness is better? And we need to commit to a single-mindedness with a heavenly mindset. Now, notice what he says here in verse 13. He says, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind does not mean that it's gone. 
Forgetting what lies behind is actually important because actually the original word translates directly as obsolete. And it carries the idea of ceasing to be affected by. So, forgetting what lies behind, there's often two areas of mistake made. One, we either live in the past because we've done a lot and we figure it's time to rest, or we live in the past focusing on our regrets and our failures. Here's the gospel. The gospel is that you have power. Whatever you have done in your past has no power because salvation is through repentance and faith. Whatever you've done in your past is not large enough, no matter how bad and defiled you think it is, it is not large enough to separate you from the offering of God's grace through faith. That's an awesome thing. It's a wonderful thing. Think about that. By making it through faith, it's no longer about my works. It's no longer about what I once did. Here's the other part. It also reminds us, because we haven't arrived, that our service unto the Lord is continual, not something that is finished. This past year, this entire church has stepped up. It has stepped up. I mean, there are so many different ways that the body of Christ has stepped up in this season, and this was for us all. And the belief is, is that we don't return back to what we were. We move forward into what God has called us to be. We don't look back and go, okay, we get some normal back because Tim might be back. Let me tell you, if Tim's back and it's normal, you got problems. But the truth is, is that we are always seeking comfortable and normal, are we not? The beauty of this is that God is saying, listen, you may have served a ton before, but I want to keep, continue to keep serving. I want to continue to keep doing the things that you were doing and not say, oops, it's time to rest now. Now, that doesn't mean that you live an unbalanced life. It means that you live a life that is prioritized in the things of Christ. And so we learn from the past, but we don't live in the past. We learn from the past, we don't live in the past. F.E. Meyer says this, he says, There may be things in our past of which we are ashamed, which might haunt us, which might cut the sinews of our strength. But we have, if we have handed them over to God in confession and faith, He has put them away and forgotten them. Alan Carr goes on, he says, If you run with your eye on past successes, then you will have the tendency to lay back and rest on your accomplishments. If you run with your eye on your past failures, then you'll tend to stay back for fear of failing again. So the forgetting what lies behind is not an ignoring of it. This is not one of those situations where you just go, well, this is what happened in the past and I ignore it. If it's something you need to repent of and ask forgiveness of the Lord from, do it. Confess it. Put it on the table. If there's an attitude of, well, I'm just going to be done with this and once I serve hard here, then I'll, I'll just take a break and I won't have to go back to it. The truth is, when we look to the past, it creates two things. It creates stagnation and apathy. Now, where it doesn't create stagnation and apathy is where we learn from it. If you've been hurt, 
The best way to deal with hurt is not to ignore it, to pretend it doesn't exist and pretend you're not bothered by it. The best way to deal with it is to dress it, to confront it, to deal with it, to have the hard conversations if needed. So part of pressing on then and being single-minded is that learning from the past but not living in the past. The second part of that, he says then, is but the thing I do, straining forward to what lies ahead. So we keep moving towards victory. The idea is is this constancy of one step before the other. The reaching is a picture here of a track runner. This is the illustration that we're seeing. is an athletic illustration that, that Paul is using here in Philippi. And he says it's like straining forward. So if you imagine at the tape, the runner is coming in and they lunge forward to break the tape. We need to have that mindset with Christ. That we are moving towards the victory. That we don't just say, well, I've I've done enough here. Let Let me just stop. It's always one of reaching towards, moving towards. This is why James can say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. As we reach for the Lord, because the Lord is already reaching, he reaches towards us. And then finally, he concludes that passage there. With those words, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One of the most amazing things this past year is that God had me memorizing verses in 2020 and 2021 that would be pivotal for this year for me. I had no idea that for two years God was preparing my heart for what would come. It didn't mean I liked it, by the way. But boy, I saw Jesus' hands in it. In Colossians 3, 1 through 4, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If... Or when Christ returns, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Paul's focus here is on the heavenly, not on the earthly. In the moments where he's running the race, he's looking towards the heavenly reward, the heavenly goal. Not living there, but looking towards it. What I found over this past year was that if you spend a lot of time looking at what's going on with your body, you will be a very anxious person. When you see the devastation around you and the hopelessness around you, and you see the possibilities of what man is able to do and what man is not able to do, you will be depressed. And you will continue to wonder and to, to, to move to a place where It's just enough. How do I live as a servant of God in this environment? Remember sitting in a chair, crying out to God. 
And I share this transparently because I hope that you know that trials bring suffering, and sufferings are not easy, and we all know that. And it doesn't mean that we walk through blind and say everything's great, I'm all good, and just think it's going to happen and try to bring it into existence. It's not how God works. God doesn't want you to bring it into existence. Why? Because he says that he's the God of peace. And when we come to the Lord, he becomes our peace. It was amazing to watch the countenance change when all of a sudden I took my eyes off of my situation and looked to the Lord and said, God, I don't get you at all right now. I don't understand a thing that you're doing but I'm going to trust your promises and watch you work. And as my eyes moved off myself and onto him and his purposes, coming to the point of saying, Lord, if you choose to slay me, slay me. But I will worship you. I don't want that, God. And I don't want it with all the power I have to offer up to you. But I will. The third thing, seek God's word and his discernment to make decisions and remain steadfast in his call. Seek God's word and his discernment to make decisions and remain steadfast in his call. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What's Paul talking about there? He's actually talking about followers of Christ, holding to the truths of God's word. The literal translation there is to the standard. It's carrying with this idea of the standard that's been laid forth. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That means that the Word of God actually informs us. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and gives us discernment. Our lives are no longer ruled by just what I want to do, but they're ruled by what the Word of God is directing us towards and what the Spirit is leading us in. Hebrews 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active. Excuse me, 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what makes it difficult to read the Bible? That. You ever read a passage in Scripture and go, yeah, I don't like that? And then ask yourself why you don't like it? Because either it's convicting to you, or it's demonstrating something new about God that you're struggling with, and you don't want to spend time actually understanding how God reconciles that in the greater truth. And his additional word... I can encourage you with one thing. Let the word of God divide your heart. Let it penetrate your heart this year. Stop trying to act as if it's not relevant to you or you can ignore what the word is saying. But allow it to speak to your heart. Paul then says, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So he's saying, listen, the discernment of the Lord is vital to fulfilling that call that Christ has given. In John 14, 
15 through 18. We're told just kind of a simple truth about what happens upon the point of salvation and what is one of the blessings that we're granted with. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that is the Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Spirit's present is with us. And because the Holy Spirit is with us, we have the discernment that is granted as God directs us in his will. We need to be a people who are committed to the word and to the discernment of the Spirit. And I want to encourage us this morning to be a people who are submitted to him completely in his call. And so for this 2023, as we wrap up this morning, may that be our prayer. That we are a people who press on into the call of Christ, remembering His salvation is about righteousness and His purpose. Committing to single-mindedness as a servant of Christ with a heavenly-minded perspective. And then going to his word and seeking the Spirit's discernment as we make decisions and stand fast. The only way to stand fast in good seasons and in bad seasons is to be rooted in something. And the word of God is not changed and it is from the very creator. May we be committed to those things this year in 2023. And as a church, may we be a church that fulfills the unique call that God has given us to proclaim his glory to all nations. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your wonder that you allow us to look upon you and see you as one who is far greater and even at times ununderstandable. Father, thank you that you have chosen to create us. Thank you that you are the one who draws us to you. And thank you for the offer of being your servants through salvation. May we be a people of faith today. And we ask this in your name. Amen.